been 10 years now. You've heard that a few times. You've probably heard it a few more times. We'll get it out of our system, and then you won't ever have to hear it again. But 10 years. Today is the 489th time we've gathered together on the Lord's Day to worship our triune God. 489 times. It feels like more than that sometimes, but <clears throat> that's where we're at. Um, and I, I do tell you that. I might get a little nostalgic today, but at the core... Uh, my desire even today is for the Holy Spirit to work in our, our minds, to work in our hearts, to, uh, so that we'd understand and, and believe and receive God's Word. And, and this morning we're taking a break from Genesis. You're like, we did that two weeks ago. Yeah, we're doing it again. Uh, this time in Mark chapter 4. So go ahead and make your way over to Mark chapter 4, verse 26. <clears throat> Very short passage. Uh, now, but before we were even an official church plant, uh, Travis talked about kind of us talking at uh, pre- whatever Presbytery camp, and we'd get together and, and such. And at some point, uh, this passage right here kind of became this this theme verse that Travis and John and I were thinking of when we were dreaming of what a church plant in Manhattan would look like. And when we read it in a moment, some of you might be like, "That doesn't make much sense. Why? That's not a real motivating verse there." Uh, hopefully by the end of this, you'll understand why it is such an incredibly encouraging verse, uh, and we'll be there. So let me set this up a bit. Here in Mark 4, uh, Jesus has been speaking, and he's been speaking in parables. Uh, a parable, in case you don't know, is a, uh, a made-up story. They're usually not true. They're uh, it's used like an allegory, used to teach some truth, right? Usually some truth that's not real easy to get our heads around if just spoken in a normal way. And so in Mark 4, Jesus uses a strange parable to explain the kingdom of God and to explain how the kingdom of God grows, which immediately raises the question for us, what do you mean by the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God over his people through his appointed king, the Lord Jesus. Thus, the kingdom of God is found anywhere that Jesus reigns in the hearts of his people. If that's true of you, if your faith is in Jesus, if he rules in your heart, right, then you are in the kingdom of God. Uh, and so sometimes I, I like to summarize the sermon in one sentence. I don't always tell you what it is. It helps me get my head around things, though. Uh, I'll tell you today, right? It's, uh, it makes it even, the passage is short. This summary is even shorter. It's this. God grows his kingdom through the faithful, persistent, and ordinary work of his scripture-sowing people. So that's, that's the summary right from the start. Let's go ahead and read. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. And this is Jesus speaking. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, He puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again, not merely out of habit, not merely out of custom, but out of a genuine sense of our need, that you would speak to us in your word here in Mark chapter 4. And perhaps we've read this passage here a hundred times. Maybe this is the first time we've ever considered it. Father, I I pray that you would teach us something new or 
that you would renew something dormant in us, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, maybe change or correct us. Lord, revive our sense of wonder at how you are working in the hearts of your people today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, we just read it. You can be honest. It's a fairly boring parable as far as parables go. Um, It's short. It's ordinary. Not a lot's going on here. Uh, But that means you really have to pay attention to a few details in in something like this. What is Jesus actually trying to draw your and I's uh, attention to? And the first thing that I I think really our attention is drawn to is, is the farmer here. Only he's not called a farmer, is he? In fact, we don't see the word farmer anywhere in here. And in fact, uh, there is a Greek word for farmer. We saw it in James chapter 5 recently. Uh, But here Jesus speaks of not even a farmer, but an ordinary man. Some dude, right? And and what does our ordinary man here do? Well, he looks, look at the passage there. He he scatters seed. That's what he does. And, And we know from an earlier parable here in Mark, That the seed actually represents the word of God. That's what you're trying to get your head around. He scatters the seed. He scatters the word of God. And so he scatters a little here. He scatters a little there. Um, And and this is where it gets really weird, right? Because you kind of think, oh, what's he going to do next? What plans does he have? And and, and what's what's the fellow do next? Well, he goes to sleep. Verse 27, have a look. He sleeps and rises day and night, right? And the idea is that is a continual process. He sleeps and rises day and night. And the point is that after scattering, he's not, he's not doing anything related to the word, to the seed here at all. The day after day, he wakes up and he goes back to bed after doing whatever else he does during the day. But, but meanwhile, right, the, the seed in the soil, it is actually coming alive. You see that in verse 27, right? The seed sprouts and grows. Again, all very, very ordinary. Like when you were in elementary school. I imagine most of you took the, the pinto bean and you planted it, right? And you got to watch the roots go and it unfold and it grow up. And, you know, unless you killed it at some point. But you watched that actually happen, right? And so Jesus here is drawing our attention to this, this mystery of the growth here that is happening in a few ways. And, and the first way he draws our attention is verse 27. The uh, farmer, right, or guy rather, has no idea how these seeds actually grow into a plant, and he points that out for us, right? That he's, he's, he has no idea. In, in regards to how it grows, grows, Jesus says, he knows not how. Verse 28, Jesus says, the earth produces by itself. The same idea here. And that phrase, by itself, um, is, is from this Greek word, uh, automatos, is there. You want to guess what English word comes from that? Anybody? Yes, nailed it. Automatic. See, you know Greek. Um, and, and what's Jesus' point with this? Well, he's... He's, he's telling us that all the man did was sleep, and the seed just grows by itself. And so Jesus' point here is, is that the man is not the one who's actually causing the seed to grow, right? The man is not the one that makes the harvest possible. What he's saying is the germinating power of growth is in the seed, not in the man who sows it, the man who scatters it. The power is in God's word ultimately the Holy Spirit, not you and I who sow the word. Now in recent history, there has been 
many attempts to explain church growth, to figure it out and, and, and to, to try to figure out how can we reproduce this in some way, to, to devise these ways. How do we expand the church and grow churches? And there are conferences for this. There are books for this. Well, what are the best practices to, to make the size of our church become larger? And over the last 30 years, right, the, the methods have mostly turned into worship being turned, uh, becoming an, an entertainment spectacle or, or treating people as consumers to be manipulated. But what we're seeing in Mark 4 is you can't do that, right? You, you can't moneyball the kingdom of God. You, you can't make it grow. And, and if you think that you can make it grow, then you're not talking about the kingdom of God. You're, you're talking about something else. You're talking about something more like a, a man-made empire. Because, yeah, here's the tricky thing. is the methods work to actually gather larger crowds. They do. But, but if the goal is to have more people simply show up at an event on Sunday morning, right, that's, that, that's when they're working. That's, that's different, right? If people in, in seats, it's not the kingdom of God that's growing necessarily there. But if, it, if higher attendance by any means is your actual end game, then Taylor Swift is killing it because people are showing up left and right for that sort of thing. It's got to be something deeper. And it is something deeper than that. But we're also not to water down God's word. Do we want to express it in a way that people understand that's appealing? Yes, but we do not water it down. We do not make it say less than it does. We do not say it say things it does not say. We, we don't want to, uh, you don't do those things just to make it more appealing to those who are unaffected by the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.1, Paul says this, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. As a, a pastor, a friend of mine, a guy named John Talley, has said, he says, as the church, we must beware that we don't become so relevant to the culture around us that we become irrelevant to Jesus. And when John Dunning and I were, were meeting, part of this, this church plant was, uh, we had to find a lot of funding, support from outside of our presbytery, Anyone who's tried to raise funds in our presbytery knows there's not a whole lot of funds for here. Uh, and so we're meeting with this guy in Dallas who we were hoping to be a significant financial supporter. And, and one of the neat things or great things is when we left, and many of you have heard this before, but the parting advice he gave us was unexpected. He, he said, don't be afraid to fail. People say that kind of thing often. They usually say it in the context of taking a risk. He also is here saying in the context of taking a risk, but the risk that he's talking about is the, the risk of trusting God to build his church. He, he's here saying, I'd, I'd rather that the church, right, that, that, or rather that we would rather that our church and our teaching be true to God's word and we fail than that we succeed in ways that lacks integrity or manipulates people. And I believe we've been true to that over the years, what, that, that we've trusted God to grow his church through the simple means of grace. Now, I want to explore two aspects of this a little bit further here. First, I, I, in this parable, you, you look at it, you've just read it, right? You've memorized it probably at this point. Where do you see God at work in this parable? It's right in front of you. Where do you see it? Think about that. And again, right, the, the man has no part in actually making the seed grow. That's 100% the work of, of God. God is sovereign over all, and he's the one that does this. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says the same thing in no uncertain terms. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
And this has been our, our guiding principle as a church, to trust that God's word applied by the Holy Spirit will accomplish the work of heart change, the work of giving faith, the work of sanctification in the, the lives of God's people. You, you and I, we, we do not build God's kingdom. I know we, you could probably trace back and find me saying something along those lines. If I ever say it again, correct me, right? We, we do not build God's kingdom. God builds His kingdom. Never in the New Testament are we told to establish or to build or to expand God's kingdom. We, we, are, we, we do read in the New Testament that we can enter the kingdom of God. We can receive the kingdom of God. We can inherit the kingdom of God. In the Beatitudes, we are even told that we, we can possess the kingdom of God. But never are we told to build the kingdom of God. You and I are, are called to sow the seed. That the kingdom growth, right, faith, falling more in love with Jesus, that, 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 that's what God causes. He alone will build the kingdom. And often we don't actually see it happening, right? It's a, it's a mystery to us. Just like the growth of the seed here is a mystery to the man in the parable. You, you never know how God is at work. Now, uh, a number of years ago, it's one of the things we rejoice at, uh, there was a guy that was coming to worship. He was, uh, he was in the army. He was coming to worship simply because his wife was a believer and wanted him to come. And he would just out of kindness and love to his wife would show up. Um, but he simply didn't believe in God. And, and to my shame, I learned this about him. And I thought, oh, well, it's cool that he's here. But I didn't immediately think, oh, what, what might the Lord do if he's here sitting under the preaching of the word each week? And, and before long, he actually started coming to our men's Bible study um, and, and, and asking these questions. And, and Travis and I had the joy of meeting with him a few times and, and answering all these incredible questions he's having, things we didn't expect and should have been, right? And, and slowly we, we watch God take the sowing of his word in this man's heart and grow it into this, this beautiful faith. And it's such an encouraging thing to see that. And I, I tell you the part we have, but I, I know when when they left, they talked about one of the first things that happened is, uh, is on the first day they were here, and, and it's interesting because I can actually name you by name, but the Benoits invited them over for lunch. And they were like, this place was really welcoming. They, they invited us over, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and, and you just start to see the, the way that works and, 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 and you know, the word working in the life of the Benoits and inviting them over, and, and, and slowly this, these things happen. We, we couldn't predict the way it was going to go, though, right? We, we can't reproduce it. If I thought we could reproduce it, we would absolutely do everything we could to reproduce it all the time. But, but even though we can't do it, God can and God does, and that should give you confidence to share the gospel, to share any bit of, of God's word with others. And, and, and just know, right, God, God works according to his own speed, Seed sown today may not sprout tomorrow. It, it might sit dormant for, for many years to come. You've probably seen this in people's lives at times. So, so don't be discouraged when, when, you see, when you don't see the growth that you expect to see in someone's life immediately when it's not as fast, it's not as huge as you might desire it to be. I mean, after all, right, when a, a farmer plants his field, he doesn't go out there the next day and be like, oh, what a waste of time this was. It's just a bunch of dirt still. Rows and rows of dirts. You, you have no idea what God will do with the word that you sow into the lives of others. Or even your own life. And so then we see in this parable that God alone uh, is working to grow the seed all the way to the day of harvest. But in, in this parable, where do, we, where do we see God's people at work? 
And where, where do you see the man actually interact with the seed in this passage, right? One of them should come very obviously, because we've already talked about it a whole lot, uh, the scattering of the seed. We, we see him do that. And then what's he do? Well, he sleeps day after day, which really is nothing. Uh, and then the grain is ripe. He, when it's ripe, he puts in the sickle, and that's just saying he harvests this in. And, and so we are invited, and we are responsible to two aspects of this process, right? The first one, the scattering of seeds, and the second one, the, the harvesting of ripe fruit. Tim Keese says beautifully, even though the man can't make the seed grow, he must have the initiative to get up and work and the confidence to continue in hope day and night for weeks, for months, as he anticipates the harvest, that he trusts that God is actually doing something in that seed. And so then the, the first question is, what, what does sowing the seed of God actually look like? Well, in, in, in John 5:24, Jesus promises saying this, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. The clearest, most obvious way for us to sow the word is to share the gospel as we know it from scripture. Right? To tell someone, you know, that in whatever words it looks like, but you know, to tell someone, you know, you're a sinner. And that, that their sin can be forgiven by trusting in Jesus who upon the cross has purchased their salvation, purchased salvation for all who will place their trust in him. And listen, evangelism training is, is fantastic. It's great. I highly encourage in any opportunity you have, but, but you also don't need special training before you can share the gospel. Clearly, the, the man in this parable is not the most well-trained farmer, right? He's, I'm not either, but even I know, right, he's not, he's not planting this stuff in any sort of rows. He's just tossing it out there, right? He's not even burying the seed. He's just tossing it out there. You know, and it comes back to this idea, do, do you know the gospel that you have believed? Do you know what your, your, your faith is in, right? The truth of what Jesus has done for you. Do you know that? Then you know all you need to know to be able to tell somebody else that. That's it, right? And so sharing the gospel, that's, that's the most explicit way to share the, uh, to scatter the seed in that sense. But, but listen, all of God's word is seed to be planted, and that's why we preach all of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And sometimes scattering the word is just sharing with someone, believer or not, a, a passage that has encouraged you. Or challenged you, maybe convicted you, or comforted you. Do you have that freedom just to, to share that with someone? Or, or maybe a passage that, that you think might benefit a friend or a coworker in whatever current situation is. Just, hey, I know you're dealing with this, and I, I found this passage in the scripture. Maybe it just encouraged you. If you want to talk about it or just read it on your own, that'd be great. Right? Church together, you and I will, will sow the word of God. We will read it. We'll preach it, memorize it, meditate on it. We will speak the word of God. We will teach it. We will text it, right? We will sow the word every opportunity that we get. Because, well, to quote Wayne Gretzky, or maybe Michael Scott, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Or in this case, we, really what I'm getting at is we never know what God will bring about when we scatter the word of God in the soil of others. You never know what he's going to do. And so you sow. And, and, and then you rest in the sufficiency of Christ and God's word. And we always have this question, okay, well, how do we define success in this? Right? And, and we're looking for how many people come to faith. 
right? How many people want to come forward, that kind of thing, right? What do we do to find success? Well, we're going to define success like scripture, right? Just, just the scattering of the seed and the sleeping, right? That's the trusting in God to cause the growth. Were we faithful to scatter the seed? We can consider that success. And, and listen, one of the ways we, we get access to people who will listen to what we want to share with them, right? Access to that soil is when when the Word of God has been sown in our life, not, not just one time a long time ago, I think we sometimes think of it that way, but a, a life of sowing the Word into our own lives. And you begin to see this, right, in our joyous dispositions and our love of neighbor and our, our kindness and our patience and, and, and many other ripened fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's where we begin to see this. And listen, you, you can't change your own heart any more than you can change someone else's heart but you can sow the word of God into your own life. I think we get along in the Christian life sometime and we stop doing that. Or we do some half-effort version of that. Right? We, 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 we ought to be doing that. Sowing the word into our own life. And we can do that with the hope of, of God causing his rule and his, his reign to be strengthened in each of us. We, we do that by committing to habits of sowing the word. For instance, making sitting under the weekly preaching a real priority in our life. And, and we do that by setting time apart every day to read God's word, to, to, to speak to the Lord in prayer. We do that through small group participation and Bible study participation. We do that through memorizing the scriptures, you know, hiding this precious seed in our hearts where, where it's readily available to us, even when scripture, even your phone is not. Listen, some of us are not seeing the harvest of God's word in our life because Quite frankly, we, we're not truly sowing God's word in our life. And, and maybe our, our historical knowledge, right, of God's word has outpaced our current obedience to God's word. Maybe, maybe we're just neglecting to meet with God in his word. And I'll, I'll, I'll confess, right, that's been the ebb and flow in my life. And I know the difference when, whether I'm ebbing or flowing in that regard. And maybe that's been the case in your life as well. And so brother, sister in Christ, keep sowing the word of God in your life. You need it. Make it a daily habit and be patient when you don't yet see the growth that you are praying and hoping for. You, you be patient and keep sowing. Now the other thing the man in the parable does is recognize when the fruit is ripe and then he harvests it, right? Our harvesting is is being able to see the fruit of God's work in someone else's life and helping them to see it too. Helping them to, to see that they are embracing the grace of God. Helping them to see that God has given them faith, right? That, that they do indeed believe. So something like, friend, do you, do you believe that Jesus is real and he's died for your sins? You see what they have to say, right? And if you have reason, right, you tell them you, you believe the gospel, you're trusting in the grace of God. Yours is the kingdom of God. You are a child of God. It's that harvest. And so we, we, we talked about what God sovereignly does. He alone can create true faith. We've talked about our responsibility to sow the word into the lives of others and uh, in our own life. And never forget that, that both of these are absolutely true. Both of them, right? That that, that will keep you, and this is why we keep both of those in mind, right? Because that will keep you from burning out under the weight of thinking that everyone's salvation is on your shoulder somehow. You know the feeling, I mean, when you're like, what if I say this wrong? This is not the right time. What if I, what if I speak too soon or too late? And you're just terrified to say anything because you don't want to somehow mess up the perfect opportunity. You don't have to panic about that. 
You're, you're a sower of seeds. You don't cause them to grow. On the other hand, this will motivate you to share the Word of God with real hope that God will change lives through it. And the more you see that, the more encouraged you'll be. Now, every church plant, probably in the history of the world, is familiar with these words from Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it, labor in vain. Uh, with the rest of our time, which shouldn't be too long, I, I, I want to help you begin to see how God has been working the life of, of this church over the last 10 years as we have trusted God to build his church. Sometimes we reflect back on this, sometimes we don't, right? But this, this idea, you might have you know, seen Psalm 9 when we said it at the beginning of the service or seen it out front when you walked in, right? The, you know, that we're going to recount the wonderful works of the Lord. Um, and listen, there are thousands of things that I could share this morning. Some of them as recent as, as this week, this morning, but I'm, I'm just going to focus on a few early ones. And I, I tell you that right now because... We appreciate everyone throughout history and all they've done. And sometimes if you focus on one, you neglect everyone else. And, um, you know, be gracious in that regard. But uh, I, I just want to focus really on a couple here. And the way we saw God work providentially through his, his people and the church and the world in the, in the early years. And, uh, and, and, well, I'll start with this. You know, first of all, the Lord put it on, on the heart of Travis Shanahan to see a church planted here probably 15 years ago. At least that's when I became aware of it. Um, I didn't know he was going to go when it happened, right? And, and I joined him years before praying for God to provide a pastor to lead that. You're right. We were told many times, Kansas is not sexy. That was the phrase we were told, meaning nobody really wants to go there. Um, and, and some years later, he actually asked if, if, if I'd consider it. And, and at that time, Laura and I were at a large, beautiful church, a beautiful sanctuary, well-established in Overland Park. We loved it. Um, and thought, why, why would you leave here? But, but not long before that, you know, um, before Travis asked me, Laura and I had read this book, and, and by a guy, and I'll just be honest, I don't feel comfortable recommending this guy to you, um, but his, Francis Chan, most of you probably know him. And anyway, he wrote this book, I think it was Crazy Love, and, and yet in God's providence, in that book was this one question that uh, Laura and I simply couldn't let go of. We couldn't get it out of our mind. And, and the question was this, and I'm paraphrasing it. I didn't look it up. Uh, when was the last time you did anything that required faith? Right? So go home and sit on that at some point, right? When was the last time you did anything that required real faith? And, and we couldn't give an answer. And we couldn't give an answer because our life was incredibly comfortable where we were. We're living in Overland Park. It's a nice place, right? And, and so that was really hard. And, and so anyway, we, we went with Travis and Amy and visited Manhattan. Uh, and we were like, okay, we love this town. Let's, let's, let's look into this. What would this might, like, might look like? And before long, Amy and Travis had decided to go, or at least Travis had decided he would go. And Amy, more reluctant, was like, okay, I guess I can't stay if you're going. Uh, and we're glad you did. <laughs> And Laura and I went to this church planter assessment in Atlanta, and the Presbytery approved this work for Manhattan, and, and John and, and Trisha Dunning got on board to do the RUF work. Um, and, and John and Travis and I met at, at Panera in Olathe, and we began to put together the core values and distinctives. They, they remain unchanged word for word. You can read them on our website if you haven't already. Um, and Travis, I remember we started to put this perspectives together, and they were like, we need a budget for five years. And Travis, I didn't know it until we'd printed it, really, but he had just made up numbers. 
like this is what our budget is and this is how much internal support we'll have and external and all this stuff. And, and amazingly, they turned out to be almost spot on for the five years that we had those numbers. Um, so, you know, make up numbers, it might work. Uh, and, and, and right off the bat, we were like, well, where do we get support? And we talked to a family at Redeemer who became our first financial supporter, and I just about cried at their incredible generosity just immediately. Uh, they absolutely embodied Hebrews 13, 16, which says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And at this point, uh, where we am in the story, it's April of 2013, and we don't know anyone in Manhattan besides a few college students who were there during the school year, and, and we still haven't been able to go public. We haven't been able to tell anyone about this besides a handful of people we're trying to raise support from, uh, because Redeemer wanted to make sure they had my replacement before they told everyone we're leaving, right? You're not going to have a youth pastor. Uh, and, and yet, God was working in incredibly unexpected ways. Uh, one of our other churches in our presbytery, I believe it was New Hope, if not, I just threw them under the bus, uh, shared about this Manhattan church plant, uh, and, and they weren't supposed to, but they did it anyway. And, and one morning, I, I, I get this email. I remember sitting in my messy office at Redeemer, and I'm, I'm just going to read it. Because <clears throat> I, until this week, I hadn't read it <laughs> for 10 years. Uh, and it says, hello. I won't give your phone numbers, don't worry. Uh, I just got the most wonderful Easter present. A friend told me that he had been to KC a week or two ago, attended a PCA church there, and heard about the church plant coming to Manhattan. My husband, Tim, and I have been praying for this to happen since we moved to Manhattan in the fall of 2011, when he took a faculty position at K-State. We have attended PCA slash Reformed churches everywhere we have lived together, Cambridge, Columbia, East Lansing, but have struggled to find our place here. We're excited that you're coming out here and are definitely interested in being part of this good work. We'd love to have you over for a meal the next time you're in town and hear more about the plans. Blessings, Christine Durrett. And that was the most amazing thing to, to suddenly hear when we're like, we don't even know anybody out there. What are we going to do? Uh, I mean, little did they know they were opening the doors to their home to serve incredible amount of meals over the next few years. And I think you had your walls colored on a few times. And uh, I mean, just it, it's just an amazing thing to, to get that. And, and I, I forwarded on to Travis years ago, and this was his, uh, his response was just two words. And I'll quote this just so it's on him and not me. I get the email back. It just says, holy crap. <laughs> so that's, that's the holy behind the scenes bit right there. Um, and, and not long after that, Laura and I receive another email, and this one goes, hey guys, I don't know if either of you remember me. Uh, Brian, you taught my church history class, and I was in a Bible study with Laura every Friday that same year. Uh, Mr. Dunning, I don't think I've ever officially met, but I, I know you by sight. He's got red hair, he's tall, of course you know him by sight. Uh, I, I was talking to Katie Thomas last night, and she mentioned that she was going to K-State in a year to help get an RUF ministry up and running. Because I know how the Thomases are diehard KU fans, I thought she was kidding. But then she explained that the, the Huffs and Dunnings and Shanahan's were all moving to Manhattan to start an RUF and PCA church, and I about lost it. You see, not even 24 hours earlier, my pastor mentioned RUF and how that would be a good thing for me to get connected with in college. One of the elders Googled it on his laptop and told us that K-State, in fact, does not have an RUF. And then barely a day later, Katie calls me and tells me that an RUF is getting started. And the same year, I'm going to K-State nonetheless. Uh, I have PCA friends in Manhattan uh, who have told me that they haven't found a church or campus group that is reformed or, or that they enjoy. And so I was expecting uh, to, that, that finding a church and a good group to connect with would be difficult next year. And that was really bothering me. 
All that to say, I want to help in any way possible. I know Katie's going to help with music, and I would love to help her if needed. Whatever you all need that you think you might be able to help with, just let me know. Sincerely, Nicola Lippert, who you all know is Nicola Sear now. Um, we, we had prayed for a place to meet. We, we had our, our first Bible study at the Duritz in September, and when we decided to start a worship service in October, um, we needed someone that could do music. We didn't know what we were going to do there, and I can remember the day when Nicola's like, uh, by the way, I have this many years of piano, blah, 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 music terms stuff and stuff. She's like, I'd be happy to play, and, and she did. And here we are 10 years later, married, three kids, right? And she's still playing piano in the worship service for us today. And, and I, I tell you those, I know some of you have been here a while, you know those stories maybe. Um, and that's just a couple of the early stories. And I, I really could go on and on about the way the, God, the Lord has providentially provided for us in so many amazing ways. I mean, even our, our first worship place, it came about simply because my bike tire went flat and the store wasn't open. And me and some guy were sitting out there having a conversation and he tells me, oh, we have a place you can worship in. Like, it was just, it, and that's like three weeks from when we needed to have a place to do it. Uh, we weren't even, anyway. Uh, you know, and I'd love to share about all these, you know, all, the, all those who have served and those that are still serving in so many ways, from, from nursery to cleaning contributing, leading music financially, or, you know, opening their homes to small group, the way y'all just invite people into your lives. And, and, and you know, for, for the sake, I, I can't have time, I can't go into that, but, but I know this. I, I know that each of you are, are here for a reason. I know that you, this covenant community is, is what it is because of the way Lord, the Lord has provided you and the way he has provided over the years and, and, and new people and different people and continue to build this church. And I am so thankful that the Lord has brought you here. And every step of the way, the Lord has provided in the way that only he could. And all while we, we slept, right? God was, was growing his church, and that's what we long to see him continue to do. And, and I, I'm going to end here with just a quote from R.C. Sproul on this. Uh, it's from a commentary in Mark. He says this, We often do not know what God does with our service. We plant the seed, go to bed, and while we sleep, God germinates the seed so that life grows and eventually produces a full harvest. And then God himself reaps for his own glory. But we are called not to employ fancy means in order to spark kingdom growth, for the actual growth of the kingdom is not our job. Instead, we are to be faithful to his call and his methods, trusting him to bring the growth. And so I believe we have, and, and going forward we will continue to sow God's word. We will continue to trust the Lord to, to bring about the harvest in all the various ways. So that's, that's me being nostalgic today. We'll get back to Genesis next week. Less nostalgia. Uh, let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we are but men and women and children scattering the seed of your word into the soil of your world, into the hearts of your people. And we do this through the preaching, we do this through our small groups, our Bible studies, we, we do it over cups of coffee. We share your word with children, with spouses, with neighbors. We, we share your word tearfully with each other in the midst of painful life struggles. And we do so joyously in moments of great celebration. We sow, we sow, we sow in so many little ways. And you, Lord, you, Holy Spirit, you, you cause the word to grow, to grow, to grow. As it sprouts up in the hearts of your people, not, not just the first time, but every time. 
And so, Lord, today, renew our sense of wonder at how you bring salvation and how you renew our often unaffected hearts. Lord, cause all who gather here today to delight in your word and to drink deeply from your word and to be reinvigorated by your word. May there be no doubt that you rule and reign in each of our hearts. And thank you, Lord, for showing us in a million ways over ten years how you work in our day-to-day lives and in the life of this, your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.